This is Transparency, a podcast by Gender Dysphoria Alliance, hosted by Aaron Kimberly and Aaron Terrell. Each week we'll be joined by people who have personal or professional experience with gender dysphoria and physical transition. We'll also discuss how our trans experiences relate to the concept of gender identity. Join us for a compassionate yet heterodox approach to the question of trans. Right, welcome back to Transparency, everyone. Uh, today we're here uh, talking to journalist and photographer Rod Fleming, who's currently based in the Philippines. Rod is well-read on the research of transsexualism and has interviewed hundreds of transsexual women. In this episode, he gives us a fascinating glimpse into the lives of the ladyboys of Southeast Asia, which is quite different from our Western concept of homosexuality and transgenderism. We hope you enjoyed this talk with Rod Fleming. Yeah, that's fine. I got it. I, because I was working for pharmaceutical companies, um, I can't really say which ones. Um, I mean, I had a scientific education, but I really got to sharpen up my skills because I was being asked questions, you know, by journalists that I had to be able to answer on behalf of these particular companies. So when I started getting interested in this subject, um, and it came about because I was writing a book, basically, um, I really started to look into the science and because uh, I was used to reading scientific papers. That's what I did. And um, at first I was very confused. And now we're going back to about you know, 2005 to 2007, I guess. Um, and I was writing a book called the, writing a book called the Warm Pink Jelly Express Train, which featured the lives of two Brazilians, well, one Brazilian and an American trans women. And I thought they were fascinating characters. So I was carrying out interviews over uh, text. We, we didn't have this lovely system then where we could actually talk to people. You had to do it by, you know, email and Skype was what we had. Yeah. So I was carrying out interviews like that. I speak very good French and I speak moderately good Spanish, or I did then. So I could just about get by in writing Portuguese. And But most of the interviews were actually done through an interpreter who was an Italian girl. She found a lot of this really quite entertaining, you know. <laughs> a cute, cute little innocent Italian Catholic girl was talking to these uh, basically transsexual prostitutes all over the world on my behalf, and she was she, she was much entertained. She really was. Anyway, I wrote that, and I was still reading the science, and I, and, and I got involved in reading Blanchard stuff because there was just something that didn't click, you know, with the general uh, what's put out the general. Um, what's called the feminine essence theory, which is that we all have a certain, you know, essential gender inside ourselves and we, we instinctively know what that is and that's, that's what we are in ba-dab-dab-dab. And it just looked wrong. It just felt wrong. And when I went to the science, I found there was really no science to support that approach. The science all came from people like um, Zucker, uh, Blanchard, Bailey, uh, Kurt Freund, Various others, you know, there's a whole stack of them, obviously. Um, and they were saying something completely different. They were saying that there were actually two different pathways into male to feminine trans expression, shall we call it. Yeah. So I thought, well, that's interesting. And at that point, um, I had begun coming to the, the Philippines. And at first, I didn't really see very much. And then in 20... 
for various reasons I don't need to go into. In 2015, I was kind of at a loose end here and I was meeting a lot of girls and mostly I was just taking them for dinner and talking to them, you know, because that's that's just, that I'm a journalist, that's what we do, you know, you talk to people. And this was a, a fascinating experience because, you know, I had all these uh, personal stories and all, all this, this background and history and it very much did back up what Ray Blanchard was saying, that there's these two completely separate pathways. A lot of what I saw here didn't exactly match what uh, Blanchard had said. And I think this has caused a, a considerable number of problems in the West. But in general, it came down to this idea that there's not this weird, you know, touchy-feely. I mean, what is it? What do you, somebody says to you, do you feel like a man? What does that mean? If you ask me, do I feel like a man? I don't know what a man feels like. I feel I know what I feel like. You know, I know what it is to be me, but you know, I don't know what it is to be you. I really don't, Aaron. You know, and that's always the case. We we cannot. Mike Bailey said this. You can't know. You cannot know what it is to be someone else. That's impossible. If you cannot know what it is to be someone else, you can't adopt one of these strange, um, all-encompassing notions of of gender. What has there has to be another cause, and the cause that Blanchard identified, and he was right, is sexuality. Right, that's what actually drives people. And if you think about it, that's obvious because our purpose on being, our purpose in being on this planet, is to make little humans. Now that doesn't mean that everybody does that, but by and large, that's what life does. It reproduces itself. Uh, and so when you look at it that way, it's not like some sort of a, it's not sort of some, some sort of prurient notion. It's just a simple basic mechanism that life has, which it says, well, you know, we have to arrange that certain kinds of people, and there are two, get together, right, in order to make babies. And evolution has done that very nicely in all species. What happens so, so, so sexuality becomes really a, a fundamental thing. It's really basic and important, you know. Um, and Freud understood that completely. You know, it's just unfortunate that Freud is not so popular these days. But so do most serious psychological researchers. They understand that, that you can't just turn your back on sexuality and pretend that it doesn't matter, you know, or that people's sexuality is just basically one blanket thing. That, that can't be. You know, there must be a, a reason and there must be... Um, some recognizable way that this is expressed. And what you end up with if you do that, if you look at Blanchard, okay, and you say, right, there's two, two different types, which he calls HSTS, that's homosexual, transsexual, and uh, he called them autogynephilic transsexuals, which is, uh, autogynephilia is, uh, by Blanchard, is a man's propensity to be uh, sexually aroused by the thought or image of himself as a woman, right? So there's two different types. Actually, autogynephilia is it's incredibly complicated and it's a, it, you know, it really is a big, complicated thing. HSDS at first seems rather simple, but when you start getting into it, you go, wait a minute, this is not as simple as it looks. Um, and it leads back to an idea which, the concept of HSDS leads back to an idea which appeared really in the 19th century, um, um, I think the originator, certainly the person who popularized the idea, was a German called Karl Heinrich Ulrichs, right? Um, and he, the idea was called sexual inversion. 
he basically said, look, what we've got, but he was looking at homosexual males, right? And he was himself homosexual. Uh, he was strongly attracted to men. And he said, basically, men like me have got the same sexuality as women do, They're attracted to exactly the same kind of men. And that, therefore, must be some sort of innate sexual inversion. And Ulrich's point was that this was innate. It was not something you chose to be. It was something that you, you that happened at some stage before you were born and just developed through your life. Um, and subsequently, we've done tests and, which have really supported that idea, although nobody likes to talk about sexual inversion these days because it's highly unfashionable. But nevertheless, if you accept that HST is, is a thing, then you kind of have to go back and say, well, that's where it has to start, you know, because we know that the HSTS, for example, will present it between 24 and 30 months. Well, it kind of has to be an eight. And homosexual males always say, you know, I've always been like, this is, this is me, this is how I've always been. And so that, 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 that has to suggest an innate cause rather than an environmental cause, which is the Freudian approach. And Freud would say, oh, it's something that happened in your childhood. You were overly attached to your mother. Um, there was some domineering mother. There was a weak father. There was all this sort of stuff. Actually, there's no evidence to support that. It's just not, it's just not supported. Far more, far more well supported is the idea that you come into this world and some of us who come into this world have a slightly different sexuality than others. You're non-mainstream, you know, so it's, a, it's really a continuum. It's like a, a scale of variation. And at that point, obviously, you know, my reading expanded enormously into all the other sources that I could really find. And here we are, basically. Uh, that Yes, I absolutely think that in the main, Blanchard was 100% right. I do think that most um, Western expressions of male to feminine uh, trans, just use that term trans there, are caused by autogynephilia. Um, and I think it's rather, I think it's just a bit unfortunate that, that most people who are actually autogynephilic really reject this idea. I'm not entirely sure that's, that's, that's helpful. Not all, not all. Absolutely not all. I mean, there are a lot of very honourable exceptions, and Dr. Anne Lawrence would be one. But unfortunately, the ones who make the most noise in public seem to be the ones who, who don't accept Blanchard. And, but they have no other explanation. That's the trouble. You can't, there's no supportable evidence that could possibly stand up the, the so-called feminine essence theory. It's unfalsifiable. I mean, I can't say to you, uh, prove to me how you feel. Mm -hmm. I mean, what does that mean? You, you, there's no way I can do that because it's, the actual premise is not falsifiable. There's no test I can do that would be able to, to let me know whether what you were interpreting as your own impression of yourself was true or not. It's just not possible. And it's even, you know, all we can really say is, well, I know how I feel. You know, that, that's it. And, but I don't even really know what I feel like. How do I know that what I feel like is what other men feel like? The only way you can tell that is by behaviours, not by, you know, airy-fairy impressions and things like that. Men do tend to behave in certain ways. Women then do tend to behave in certain ways, and they're not the same. And that is a measure that we can actually use, because it's observable. You know, it's, it's a lot of people in science, unfortunately, and even in psychology, particularly since uh, you know the 1950s, have 
kind of lost a little bit the the basis of biology. Biology was is based in observation. I mean, that's what Linnaeus did. He looked at things and said, well, that is obviously related to that because apart from tiny, some tiny little detail, it looks exactly the same. And, you know, the, the Linnaean taxonomy, it's been around since 1600 and odds, is the fundamental basis of our understanding of biology. Darwin the same. Darwin um, bred pigeons and he went to the Galapagos, which I can never say, and he looked and he drew and he developed uh, an explanation from his observations. Personal observation is really key. When people from the, um, the non-life sciences, shall we say, like physicists and chemists and people like that, come into this debate, they often think that, you know, you, you have to be able to produce the same levels of, same standards of proof that you can in, in physics. You know, I can, I couldn't, but somebody somewhere out there can definitely prove that uh, E does equal MC squared, you know. But that level of proof within the life sciences is just never present. You, all you can look at is that group have all these things in common, and that group there have all those things in common. And that's basically how, we, how it's done, you know. So the idea that, you know, we, we can't always test to the level that a physicist would like, but you still can't have things that are completely unfalsifiable because that essentially is just opinion, you know? I mean, anybody could, I mean, and that's the joke that always goes around, which is puerile, but oh, I, 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 I can self-identify as Napoleon Bonaparte. I mean, that is puerile, but the point that's being made, it's, it's reductio ad absurdum, you know? It's just taking a, a particular premise to the completely ridiculous. But if, uh, if a person says, a male person says, I feel like a woman, well, what does that mean? I mean, what does it mean? And how would he know? You know how would he know what it is to feel like a woman? It's like, <laughs> I, I can't get my head asking that. that question. Right? That's why this whole, this whole thing's falling apart because people are starting to ask that question and, and realizing sure. it's, it's not really substantial when you... When he scratched the surface of the theory. I, I would like to make it clear, if I may, that I am not, I'm definitely not against HSTS. I'm definitely not against um, sexual inversion. I'm not definitely not against, I am pro giving anybody who has, who falls into these categories, um, supportive uh, support and that they should be treated exactly the same way as everybody else. I'm not against AGPs. I do disagree with some of the things they say, but I'm not. I'm not like, oh, well, let's can, let's get rid of them. But still, I think people have to accept realism. And in the last, well, since what? Really, over the last ten years, um, the the realism has vanished because we had a new phenomenon which came through, which is largely a political one, right? And is a function really of left wing politics where people said, well, well, we can just get rid of gender altogether and I can say I am whatever I like. And there's 167 genders and there's, I don't know how many different sets of pronouns and all the rest of it. It's all complete nonsense. It doesn't relate to actual physical phenomena at all. It's purely political. And I don't think that we should be making, I don't think we should be making judgments or decisions that affect everyone on the basis of, basis of people's, of that kind of political views. I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being left-wing. You argue your case, you know? 
I'm a Conservative. I'll argue my case. But when you say that, no, you cannot argue this case because this, this group is protected because of ideas that have about themselves which are not falsifiable and which cannot be proven, then actually, to me, that's like, no, you're, you're actually destroying free speech and democracy by doing that. Especially when you say, no, no, you're not allowed to criticise that. You know, when you get people banned off Twitter or banned off Quora, both of which I have been, for, for simply saying, state, restating the science as it is published, uh, because it challenges the, the ideas of certain groups of people. And it's also doing just, a disservice to the people who have that experience, not understanding so. where, where their feelings and motivations are coming from. I, I, I absolutely believe that's the case. I think that... Uh, my, my partner is HSTS. Um, I, if you've seen her picture, I don't know if you have or not. You probably have if you... I have on, online. I think I've seen a picture of you both. You have? Yeah. You haven't? Yeah. I, yeah. I think I well, have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's a girl. You know, in every part of our relationship and in her appearance and her comportment, she's a girl. And for someone, she's made that effort all her life, you know? And... It is demeaning to someone like that, for someone just to say, oh, no, gender doesn't count, I'm a girl now. And it turned like, um, oh, I'm bad with my names. Uh, anyway, doesn't matter. You know, there are cases where men with, uh, shall we say, um, very masculine uh, body patterns and shapes, who like to wear nice three-piece suits. Nevertheless, uh, Dave Moscato is the one I was thinking of, actually, uh, who likes to say, no, no, I'm a woman. You just have to accept me as a woman because I'm, I say I'm a woman. And it's like, I don't think so. I genuinely don't think so. I don't mean Mr. Muscato any harm by saying that. I just think he's wrong. And I don't think that it's, it's acceptable for people who think like that to then say, well, no, you can't say that I'm wrong because I'm in a protected class. I think that where that gets us is into very, very troubled waters, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I think gender is a very complicated issue. It is very And I do think, I do think that the, uh, the standard model as it's understood in the West is, is ah, how could I put this? Well, it's extremely rigid. And it's not really clear to me that it's, it's fit for purpose. Because the standard expression in the West is, right, you have two genders, you have, which is true. You have masculine and feminine. Right? But you have also associated to that, you have two gender expressions, which in the West are man and woman, okay? Now, it lets me bring you to the East for a moment, because I haven't been wasting my time here. If you come to, actually, anywhere outside the West, the gender expressions are not man and woman. They are man and not man, right? Hmm. Because men is a very tightly, strictly policed group. There are a whole range of behavioral controls that ring fence how a man can behave. And if he doesn't behave, he's out. He's not considered a man anymore. And if you're not a man, then what you are is a, a not man. And the not man group is centered around women, absolutely, and mothers, but it does include um, people who in the West would be considered, you know, gender non-conforming or non-binary and all that. They just fall into this other whole bunch of gender expressions, which are not men. And so actually what happens is you have two genders. You have men and not men. But within the not men group, you can have any expression you like. It's completely unpoliced. There's no, there's no, it doesn't matter what you do. 
because you're not trying to be a man. You're not in the man group. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, gosh, how patriarchal, how awful. But actually, that really is how it works. You know, and in any traditional society, you'll see this, this model in operation, certainly in operation all across the Southeast Asia. Uh, I'm Scottish. In, in Scotland, it was certainly in operation in rural Scotland until my childhood. It's operation all across South America, which I know from my researches in, in the you know, 15 years ago. It's, it's, it's the way that people see things. They don't think it's even surprising. Um, and that's why, for example, um, they're usually called lady boys because I'll explain that because some people don't like the term. In the Philippines alone, there are 179 recognized languages and they all have different words for the thing we're talking about. So everybody just says lady boy, <laughs> okay? Because it just gets ridiculous trying to remember 179 different bloody words for the same thing. And then you take it across the the region where there are more different languages, it's more different words, so everybody uses the term ladyboy. Ladyboys do not think that they're women. Right? How they do, know how that they're they make sense? How do they make sense of themselves? Feminized males. They're non-masculine males. That's what the, the term actually means. Uh, for example, the local term here is bakla. Bakla just means a non-masculine male. Right? And so that can be, you're not masculine because you dress as a woman, or you're masculine because you like to be, you like to have penetrative, receptive, penetrative sex with men, neither of which would be considered acceptable for a member of the men group. So non-masculine man, non-masculine male, and so they don't have a problem with that. They don't see themselves as women, and most of them, uh, I came across this first in South America. Most of them, if you say, well, you know, they would laugh at you if you said, "Are you a real woman?" And you think they say, "No, no, no." Anybody who thinks that's crazy. You're obviously not a real woman. The primary qualification for a woman in this culture, and again, this might be offensive in the West, is that she's either a potential mother or a, already a mother. Right Now, that's something that no ladyboy can ever do. No bachelor can ever be a mother. And they know that. So it's like, no. Mothers are very much revered here. You know, this is... Uh, Goddess culture is really strong in Southeast Asia, just as it is in South America. It's very, very strong. So, I mean, people always think that it's a, a patriarchal culture, but it's not. It's actually a matriarchal culture. It's just that the, the, the men tend to play the roles which have to do with contact with the outside world. Okay. You know, the patriarchal culture looks out, men look out the way. Women, they're focused on themselves, their babies, and they look in the way. So it's, it's, it's more introspective. And so in the West, you know, people never think that uh, if you go down to the, 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 well, we're kind of in between two villages, but if you go to either of those villages uh, during the day, there are no men and the whole place is being run by women. Just is, it's just run by women. And the men do as they're told. When they're in the, 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 the woman's space, the home space, they behave. They behave according to the rules set by women. And I'm afraid that is actually a matriarchy, whether they like it or not, you know? And its function is protection of children. Okay. That's why it exists. Um, uh, Dr. Peggy Reeves Sandy, I uh, can't remember her university, but she's well published. Uh, she's written a lot about this uh, regarding a group called the Minangkabau who live in Indonesia. And she's well worth reading. Peggy is right on the money. She's studied and understood very well what's, what she's seeing. 
And it's just something that you find everywhere, basically outside the West. The West has kind of got completely messed up. Um, and maybe we, we could spend long enough discussing why it got messed up. But it's not the case elsewhere. In fact, I, I, there was, um, I think she's gone dormant, but there used to be a, a wonderful writer who published on, I think it might have been Blogspot, uh, called Appalachian Lady. I don't know uh, her actual name. And she, according to herself anyway, was, um, is, I hope, uh, one of the, the Hatfield clan, you know? You know the Hatfields and the McCoys, right? And the famous feud between these two. Well, she's a Hatfield. And she talks about the nature of the structure within the family and how the women were in charge. And she would say, a son would never deny his mother. You know, sons, generally speaking, go on with the, their lives. But if, if mother said, I need you to do this, they would never, never refuse. It would be like a, a real mark. It would be so disrespectful and dis dishonorable for them to do that. They would never do it. You know, and I suspect that people don't realize how, how much power that is in the hands of women. You know, uh, the women are in the, it's like we control the whole the home group and the guys, they go out and have feuds with each other and shoot each other and all the rest of it. That's their business. But the trouble is that when you come along and look, what you see is the men. And you have to be here a good while before you start to realize, wait a minute, these guys may be more obvious, but they're not actually running the show. They're actually, the really important people are the grandmothers. Because the, 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 you know, the not main group is centered around mothers and the most experienced mothers are the, in charge of that group. And they are the, the grandmothers. They call here, they're called, called the Lolas here, but that's general. It's, it's, it's absolutely general across uh, most of the, uh, the non-Western world. Are there also that's, masculine gay men or, or are most gay men there uh, yeah. feminine? Okay, right. There, there's a clear, it's a good question, which I will try to explain. There's a clear uh, social class divide. Sorry, next door starting. They're doing some work next door. There's a clear social class divide between if we talk about traditional, um, maybe we could say working class society, then uh, nearly all homosexual males will be feminized in some way or another, right? They will just be that way. There will be either what we call femboys, which is they might kind of make a, a stab at wearing male clothes, but it's not convincing anyone. You, know? <laughs> you, you cannot believe how cute some of these boys can be. It's like, for God's sake, that's a male. <laughs> but, you know, they, I'd have nothing against the fine, the nice people. And that goes from that point, goes through in a scale of variation to you get completely, totally convincing trans women who just are trans women, you know. And that's all within, that all happens within the, uh, shall we say, the traditional working class social groups. And you will very, very rarely see masculine gay men within that group. You also will not see the the, uh, the Western model of AGP, which is the elder, elderly transitioning form in that group either. AGPs in this group we're talking about here, the, the lower social class, they, they transition at 16, age 16 to 21, right? Which is completely different from the Blanchard model, which was median age 43. Here, as soon as they get the feelings of, oh, mm, I like hanging around with girls. I like to, I like to look like a girl. I feel good that way. Bang! That they'll go. They'll go right. Fine. I need the hormones. You know, I need to. I need to realize this. I need to do it right away. And that's why so many Asian autogynophiles are pretty stunning women because 
you know, they started hormones at 16, and by the time they're 25, it's, wow, <laughs> you've got a five-foot-ten catwalk queen in front of you, and they are pretty dynamic. The other social group, the middle-class social group, is completely different. Um, a lot of those in the Philippines are called philams because there's a, they are their families are part American, part Filipino, or they sometimes live in the Philipp in America. They, they certainly have American ideas, middle class American ideas, and this is also replicated in places like Thailand, uh, Indonesia. So they have these American ideas, and within this group, it's very interesting. The standard expression of uh, the homosexual male is what is called here the macho gay, right? And they are the bodybuilders. They're very into their bodies, very into their physique. They're very, they're very, really quite in your face, you know. And they, actually, the, the other type don't like. They really don't like them, but, but that's not something we need to get into. And at the same time, strangely enough, the model of autogynephilia that you find in that social group conforms better to the Western model, and they, they in that they transition later. Um, and these, this seems to all have to do with basically social pressure. You know, in the, within the, the within the traditional group, I wouldn't like you to go away with the wrong impression here. I mean, a father who finds out that his son is gay, I mean, that's the, the term they will use, right? Or backlog, may well be extremely angry. We're talking about a working class traditional father, and he may beat the child. I mean, I I have heard stories that really would, you know, my hair is grey, but it would they would turn grey. You know, the beatings are way beyond anything that would be considered acceptable. I mean, they would get you prison in the West if, uh, if, you, if you treated a child that way. Uh, beatings, thrashings. Kevin Ballett, who is a famous uh, Filipina beauty, a backlash, a lady of transport, she was chained up in the, the, uh, the yard of her home by her father and beaten like a dog. And her father admits that. He's admitted that on public interview. Don't tell you know. I think they're still on YouTube. This sort of thing is normal, so it's not like it's like oh, it's fine. But but here's the thing: the mother is highly likely to be completely accepting, and the mothers will will gather around and try to protect the child from the excesses of the father's anger. Um, mothers quite often buy for their 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 bachelor daughters, that is, boys who are transitioning. They'll buy hormones for them because you can buy it. You see here, no gatekeepers here. You can just go down to the corner shop and buy contraceptives. The corner shop is like 50 yards from here. It's got them on the counter. And anybody can buy it. You don't need a prescription. You just buy it. And it's like, what, a dollar for, you know, a pack of 21. So they normally take three a day. So a, a dollar a dollar a week. It's 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 it, it, the, 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 the costs are like... Nothing, and the uh, nobody polices this. Nobody, nobody says, "Well, you've got a prescription." If you went to a pharmacy, they'd say, "Are you sure you're 18? <laughs> but at the corner shop, they go, "Ah, that's for your mother, is it?" Aye, that's okay. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. everybody knows what's going on, but it's just yeah. like forget it. It's not a problem. Let's just do it. So um, I kind of lost the thread of your original question there, but um, that the fact that it is much more general for boys to be feminized in the 
the traditional or working class group doesn't mean it's that it's completely easy for them. It's easier, but it's not completely easy. Whereas in the, the middle class group, boys in these cultures will have their futures planned out largely by their mothers, you know, um, while they're still in elementary school. And, you know, if you want to be a lawyer, if you want to be a doctor, if you want any to join politics, if you want any sort of high powered job, you can't be a ladyboy. You can't be a feminine male. Even if you're homosexual, you have to be masculine about it. You, know, you have to play the role. You have to act in that way. Um, and so there, they, they are under very strict, strong social pressure. But even if they did want to follow a trans path, follow the, the path of Kabakla, they can't really do it. It's, it's not possible for them because of this intense social pressure, which is much more like what happens in the West. And the same is true for AGPs. I mean, boys who, AGP always sets on at puberty. I mean, we know that now. Blanchard didn't know that, but we do know now that it does. It sets out, it's when they start for thing called Tanner stage four, which is a phase of childhood development. And it's at the point at which basically boys start to masturbate. That's when AGP, if it's going to happen, that's when it manifests. So by the time, a, time, Bruce, sorry, time Jenner was, that was 65, that transition. He'd been aware of his autogenic feelings for over 50 years, you know, and he'd been suppressing them. Like, no, I can't do that. I, I want to be an Olympian. How can I be an Olympian? Boobs. <laughs> and, and I'm prancing around in a, you know, a, a, an evening dress. It, it just doesn't work, you know, and people are not stupid, you know, especially AGPs tend to be quite bright. And so they go, right, no, okay, I just have to conform to what people expect of me. Um, today in the West, you're seeing a little bit of a change there because um, the West has become much more open towards male expressions of femininity, um, which has been, really was originally driven by gay men, gay males, but has been jumped on by ATPs, especially young ones, saying, ah, no, it's okay, I can do it. It's, nobody can say that I'm wrong. And we're talking about people of the ages of, sort of 14 to 16. Yeah. I can do that now, and society will not completely stamp on me in the way that it would have, you know, not that long ago. And they felt they really had to suppress. Um, I certainly know, well, three girls in the West quite well who are AGP, but they, 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 they appeared in that manner. They were all, all on hormones by the time they were 16. Mm. And, you know, they're pretty convincing girls now, really. I mean... They might be a little bit bigger than the standard issue, you know, for their ethnicity, but but the options them, for the lady boys as like, far as like a livelihood and because you, you, you said, I mean, it, it limits it limits your progress socially to be a gay male or, or a lady does. boy. Yeah. So what what are their options for for? Well, well, for you know, women? within uh -huh, see within the the. Uh, this is applicant throughout Southeast Asia, right? But I will talk about the Filipino example. In the Philippines, you have a thing which I call kabakla ad, right? Now remember, they've all got a different word for bakla. Just happens to be that where I live in Luzon, the word is bakla. That means a ladyboy, an unmasculine male. Now that's a complete, that is everything. That is a university, it's a finishing school, it's um, a route to career. It's, a, it's everything that you could possibly want that will propel you through life. Uh, so you, you might, 
if you go in, if you are a battler, if you, you you'll be spotted by the other battlers in the, the local group in the barangay or village, and they will gently encourage you. Your mother might encourage you towards them. Well, you won't speak to that 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 girl. She's a lovely dancer, you know. And you you you're a nice dancer. Why don't you try that? That might be your thing. So they'll go along and they'll learn a few dance moves, and it's quite nice, you know. And it kind of naturally, organically flows into it. Um, and their career paths after that will be things like a lot, an awful lot of them will go into the beauty industry. You know, they'll be beauticians or hairdressers, cosmetologists, <laughs> strange word, but there you go, cosmetologists. Um, a lot of them will be models. You would be surprised how many models in Southeast Asia on the front of magazines are actually lady ones. They're not, they're not female at all. And I could come back to them for why that is, but let's go on. The other big one is um, pageants because you can make a living being a pageant queen here. You know, you can actually make a pretty damn good living being a pageant queen. Um, and the, the, the girls who are successful in pageants are generally AGP because they're tall. Um, and they will move around the pageants around the Philippines. There are hundreds of pageants in the Philippines. And the girls will move from pageant to pageant. And that way they can make quite a civilized living, you know. Um, modeling, model, they're, they're, they're sought after at, as models, because the, now not all, it would be unfair to say all, but most Southeast Asian women are fairly small. The average height for a woman in the Philippines is five foot. That's the average. <laughs> and trust me, you'll meet a lot shorter than that. Um, and pear shaped. You know, they have small boobs, big hips, very, very um, you know, curvy legs, very shapely legs. Um, and, and cute, pretty faces, you know. Magazine designers, and I used to be a photographer, I know this, they, they, they famously, they, what they like is the, the, the model that is best seen in the West, where they're tall, slender, with beautiful rather than pretty faces, you know. Um, sometimes with quite large boobs, and generally speaking, with quite slender hips. Right? That's maybe changing a bit in the West, but here it's still slender hips. There's a lady who fits that exactly. She's perfect. She walks into the, the casting studio and it's like, yeah, that one. <laughs> that one. And I don't care how you started off. You're the one I want for this photo shoot. And so they can be very successful as models because they fit, they exactly fit what the, the, the art directors are looking for. You know, it's like, ah, yes, that's what we want. And all these cute little, you know, which is, I mean, I'm not saying that they're not, I'm not saying that these women are not attractive and they're not feminine. Of course they are. But it's just, you know, having worked with art directors so much as I did, you know, an art director gets an idea in his head or her head and you ain't going to shift them, you know. And it's always the same. It's always this tall, lissom, willowy, curvaceous, strikingly beautiful, but not pretty. There's a difference between pretty and beautiful. Um, you know, Amazon almost, that he wants or she wants for the, the cover of the magazine, and they always want that, you know. And so that's that's how that happened. So that's a, that is um, for the best looking girls. That's a, a, a big career avenue. The other one is entertainment generally. Philippines and Thailand are full of comedy bars, uh, and quite often the acts will be autogynophilic ladyboys. They're not particularly good looking, but they can be extremely funny. The the biggest entertainment star on Filipino television is uh, a person called Vice Ganda. Vice Ganda used to be a pageant queen, but is now, well, yes, she's the biggest entertainment star in the country. 
is AGP. And everybody knows that she's a battler. She makes jokes about it. And this is on lunchtime television every single day in the Philippines. You can't go, you cannot get away from battlers in the Philippines. They're everywhere. You know, the air is absolutely full of it. Finally, just to finish that issue of career for the, the and this is a really attractive one, is not so much, in the, in the Philippines, not so much um, live sex prostitution. That's really not a big thing for battlers in the, the Philippines. There's a reason for that I could come to. But, 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 uh, distance, that's a big thing. They can hook Western guys online and get the Western guys to send them money. And this is an industry. Literally, Aaron, this is a, an industry where what they do, they call it cam sex, but it's not really even that much sex. You know, it's mainly they're sitting chatting to men, lonely men in the West, and they're being the, that man's dream girl online. And he's sending them, I don't know, he's maybe sending them couple hundred bucks, 300 bucks a month, sometimes a lot more. Um, but if you've got five guys and they're each sending you 300 bucks, well, that's 1,500 bucks a month. And 1,500 bucks a month in the Philippines is a lot of money. That is a very healthy income. And the president of the country makes 70,000 bucks a year. You know what I mean? So, so if you're making 1,500 bucks and you're living in a barangay where everything is really cheap and your accommodation probably costs you like, a thousand a month, or you're staying at home with your mum. This is like serious money. And it's very, very attractive to these girls. So what do they do? What, what is it about these girls that attracts men? Their beauty. So it's like, yeah, I've got to make myself more feminine. Yeah, I've got to make myself more beautiful. Yes, I've got to, this is the market. That's what I have to do. And they spend, as one writer put it, they spend inordinate, inordinate amounts of time and money on beautifying themselves. And they really do. And, and this is a, 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 you know, this is not a new phenomenon. This has been going on for a very, very long time. Um, in that, so that's really very different from what you would see in the, the, the middle class group, where it tends to be professional careers, careers in business, careers in the law, um, academia, all that sort of thing. They, they, that's a completely different um, social circle. Are most lady boys taking hormones? cross-sex hormones, like do most of them take medical steps right. to stay to, to maintain right. a feminine appearance? Practically all. Yeah. Um, nearly all lady boys will be taking uh, or have taken hormones at some stage. The hormones they're taking will almost certainly be, at least in the initial stages, uh, contraceptive pills, which by the way, folks, is not ideal. It's not a great idea, but it does work. It's, they're very strongly feminized preparations. Um, and they will start taking them, in the case of HSTS, they probably start re usually around about the age of, uh, something around about the age of 12, 10 to 12. And for AGPs, about 16, 15 to 16, they'll start taking hormones. Um, and they will they'll just keep taking them. Does the general population there um, kind of see a difference between the, the, the two varieties, the HSTS versus no. AGP? Is that is that just something that's understood within the within the niche trans culture, but the broader culture doesn't know the difference, just like how it is here? Is that the case? It's not even understood within the niche trans culture. If you consider, if you're considering trans culture to mean the same thing as I would describe as Kabaklaan, which is the way of the Bakla. Um, that's not really, you see Kabaklaan, the, 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 gen, the social expression bakla, right, which is the unmasculine male, 
is actually a nexus and it unites several different forms together. <laughs> See, so people say bachelor and they're not really interested in how you got to be a bachelor. And you get it, the, what the, the, the culture will see, what they will say is they'll talk about Batang Baklas, which roughly equates to HSTS. They were kids, they were girls when they were five, you know, they run around with the towels on their heads to simulate hair and wearing their sister's makeup, you name it. And that, that at age four, five younger. Um, and that's the Batang Baklas. And the other group would be what they call late bloomers. Um, and these are the ones who appeared in mid-type, mid, mid, mid to later teens in adolescence. You do have to be a wee bit careful with that because within some families where there hasn't been any support for the, uh, uh, you know, the child, uh, you can find HSTS really suppressed until, they're, until they leave school and then bang, that's it. Right? So they're not AGP, they're still HSTS, but they're actually a minority. Most late bloomers are AGP. And they're easy to spot the difference. You know, you just put one next to the other. You go, yeah, I know which is which. It's 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 really easy. Uh, it's not. People in the West often think these are complicated things, but once you've been here for a while, the tricky bit in in the Philippines, excuse me, the tricky bit is actually spotting an HSTS because you could be standing right next to one and thinking that she's a girl. It's far easier to tell the difference between someone you know is HSTS and someone who's AGP. But just spotting an HSTS in the... Very few Westerners could do it. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a quick anecdote. Uh, years ago now, oh, shit, this would have been... Well, 2016, I was uh, with a particular girl who was lovely. Um, and we went to see some other girls because I'm always interviewing lady boys. You know, the more lady boys, right? I'll interview them. So this was a bunch of girls living in... San Fernando, and uh, we went to see them. So as you do, you know, I, my, I'm the walking wallet in these situations, right? <laughs> I, I pay for everything. I pay for the drinks, the meal, and it never comes to much. You know, it's like 30 bucks, and I'll feed up a, a squad of ladyboys, no problem at all. They'll all be quite happy. So, and you get a good night out of it, you know? And it's not a sexual thing. It's just, you know, it's just fun. Um, so <laughs> we're in this bar, and we're busy having food, you know, as you do a couple of drinks and some, I don't know what, Deep fried crabs, <laughs> baby crabs, you know. Um, and this guy wanders over, he was Australian, see? And he, he saw me because Western, you know. My hair wasn't quite as long. I'd just been lazy about going to find a bloody hairdresser that's open, you know. Um, he saw me, all right, I've got to talk to the white guy, see? So he, he sort of saunters over. And you could see what he was going on in his head, you know. There's, this is a white guy, and he has four girls with him. That's absolutely unfair. Because I'm a white guy, I don't have any girls, right? So maybe I can just insert myself into this company and get lucky here, you know. And they think the guys don't realise what they're doing. Anyhow, he starts off still standing up. He starts off, you know, da da da, and then he starts off on about lady boys and how much he hates them and how much he thinks it's it's, it's really wrong that they, uh, you know, they pass themselves off as girls, you know, and they just deceive men. And <laughs> my girlfriend Jelly, she says, because Jelly was a very forthright girl, she still is, I'm sure. And she, would, she wouldn't stand for no shit from nobody. She turned around and said, hey, wait a minute, I'm a ladyboy. And, of course, his face went. <laughs> and the next girl says, yeah, I'm a ladyboy too. And so the other two went, yeah, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're ladyboys also. And you, honestly, you, this guy, you would have thought that he wanted the ground to open up, you know, <laughs> just make him vanish and go away. He was absolutely crushed. 
because he had absolutely believed. You know, he was standing telling, I can always tell a lady, you know, I can I always know what they're like, you know. And that was four that he didn't get in one in one go, if you know what I mean. He just didn't clock him. And that's normal. Right? I so say you could be standing right next to one and you wouldn't know. The one thing you've got to understand about an HSTS backlight is that she's always after the guy, right? Girls aren't, unless they're prostitutes. That's a different thing. But we're not talking about prostitutes here. We're talking about ordinary girls. Uh, a backlight will be making signs to the man that let him know that she's interested. You know, in a way that a, a, a natal woman just wouldn't do that. This is a conservative society. You know, this is Catholic conservative society. Girls don't go around making eyes at men. You know, that's not that's not how it's done. There are ways to get, but that's well, not done that way. But backlash it seems like the HSTS, they're, 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 still, um, they're still quite uh, male in their uh, sexual appetite. It's a partly true point. I mean, I have to say, I've known some women, natal women, that is, with pretty powerful libidos, you know, seriously, seriously. Um, who, you know, once they, they you know, they, they were, it's, it's more that it's more that initial contact, you know, where a lady, uh, in these cultures, girls are meant to be demure. Okay. And a lady boy finds it very, very difficult to be demure. If she wants, she sees a man and she wants him, and it will show, it will show in her face. She, you will know right away that she's interested. And that's, that's, mm, that's a pretty good clue that the person you're looking at isn't actually a woman, you know, because, you know, in this, these cultures, like I say, I'm not talking about in high prostitution areas, I'm talking just about ordinary girls. Uh, ordinary girls, you know, you have to meet their, them in a family context. And, you know, I have dated on, uh, natal women here and they arrive with three chaperones. <laughs> it's just a completely different thing from the West. Uh, I don't know if you ever remember... I saw a film called Good Morning Vietnam with uh, the lovely Robin Williams, in which she dates a, a Vietnamese girl who's actually a very famous Thai actress. And they actually have a date and she arrives with her entire family, <laughs> 12 people. That's what happens. That's what it's like here. You date a, a woman and she'll arrive with a squad. Uh, if you date a lady boy, a trans woman, used to be a little bit more relaxed. It's not so much now, but she would... Sometimes they would just arrive alone, but if they came with a, a friend, it wouldn't be too many. You know, it would be a, another ladyboy, usually. Um, I don't know if you know about the Jennifer Lowdy story. You know about Jennifer Lowdy? Jennifer Lowdy was a trans woman who made the mistake of uh, getting in tow with a, a US Marine. Uh, Pemberton, he was called. Private First Class Pemberton. And he had sex with her. Because they later found a gun, obviously we do. And he had sex with her, then discovered she was a, a, a trans woman and, and beat her to death and killed her. And since that happened, when that happened, ladyboys became an awful lot more careful about meeting Western men in this country. I don't know, it's not maybe so much the case in Thailand, but certainly in the Philippines. You know, I don't date anymore. I've been in established relationships for the last four years. I don't date, but certainly it became they would just wouldn't meet you alone for the, on the on the second date absolutely yeah that's not a problem but one because the first date is just to make sure that you're not a murderer you know you're not a ladyboy killing freak uh, and and they they were right to do it I mean I used to say to girls if I was saying let's go for dinner and I would say just bring a friend if you feel at all you know just bring a friend I don't mind uh, and they usually would and it would usually be another ladyboy 
Do they get, do they tend to get married at some point or do they tend to stay single for, for their lifetime? Very few ladyboys get married. Do you mean to men? Mm -hmm. I presume you mean. Mm -hmm. This happens to very few ladyboys. Um, unless they can meet a Westerner. You know, a Westerner will marry a lady, but a local guy won't. Really won't. It's very, very, very unusual for a local guy to, to, to marry a, a ladyboy. I mean, they will have sex with them. Fred Whittam, you, uh, American researcher, who was working in the, uh, the Philippines in the 90s, he, he, he did a lot of surveys on this, and he came up to over 75% of men, I'm talking about straight men, had their first sexual experience with a backup, with a ladyboy. Right? And to understand that, you need to understand that female virginity in the Philippines and across the region, this is not just the Philippines, is protected. It's not like the West. A girl is expected to be a virgin when she goes to the marriage bed. Right? Women here don't take contraceptives, especially unmarried women, because it's insistent like she's having sex. And she's not supposed to because she's not married. Right? So that makes ladyboys very attractive to randy young men and randy old men too, because they are available. And, you know, males, I kind of shocked myself when I found this out, but it's true. Males don't have virginity. Doesn't exist. And certainly in cultural terms, doesn't exist. It's not, it's just a nothing. So, whereas a woman's virginity is like, you know, you take the wrong woman's virginity and her cousins, brothers, and aunts, and all the family, the male members, might well come after you with shotguns. You know, it, seriously. Especially if you do that in a Muslim area, you might well end up dead. I'm not kidding. But male virginity, who cares? It's just a boy. It doesn't matter. So if the boy is cute and pretty and willing, and the boys love it, because after all, they, 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 they adore the attention, the gratification that it gives them, um, the validation that it gives them, all that kind of stuff, they, 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 they're not going to say no. They're right up for it. Do many of the lady boys there get surgery, or do they? Is that an option for them? Yes, certainly. It's um, uh, when we're talking about surgery, there are two types. There's purely cosmetic, right? Which many lady boys will have. That will be things like chin reshaping, nose jobs, which I wish they wouldn't do. There's nothing wrong with our bloody noses. Um, they'll have maybe a little tucks, they'll have mild cosmetic surgery, you know, nothing too serious, usually just what's called facial feminization surgery. That's one kind of surgery. They'll have boob jobs. That's very common. They, they, they really do like, not all, but most really like to have a nice pair of handfuls. You know what I mean? They're not so enthusiastic about genital reconstruction. Just call it GRS, uh, and it is genital reconstruction, which is the installation of a neo-vagina. Um, and there are a number of reasons for that. But of the trans women I know, which is hundreds, um, and that I've interviewed, talked to over the years, it's not even 5%, definitely not. 2% maybe have had surgery, 2 3%, that's about it. And the rest, it's not because they can't afford it. They certainly can. Uh, lots of, you'd be surprised how much money some ladyboys make, especially if they're doing the, the 
shall we call it, cam relation thing with a Western guy. You know, he'll pay for their surgery. You'd be amazed how many, how much money men will give women, you know, just by saying, oh, you know, I really would like that, you know. It would really complete me. And I knew I could be a complete girl for you, you know. Don't you think, you know, and the guy goes, okay, here's $7,000. That literally happens all the time. So the girls could have these things. They could easily afford the, the surgery. They just don't do it because they don't want it. Right? They do not want it. And the reason comes back to that thing I said earlier. They know they're not women. They know they're not women. So what would the flipping point be? You know, I mean, okay, so I I, I, I can go down the beach with my uh, my bikini bottom on and nobody will notice the, the baggage. Is that enough to go through all that? You know, most of them will go, nah. Nah, I'll just I'll just tuck a bit tighter. Wear two pairs of underwear. You know, they'll wear two pairs of bikini shorts, uh, bikini bottoms, so that it all tucks in nice. They don't have the cultural. See, in the West, there's this idea that you can be a trans woman, right? That you could be a woman if you do something like have that surgery. There is no battle on the planet who thinks that. There's no Katoy who thinks that. There's no Travesti in South America who thinks that. They, don't, they all think that people who think that, they, 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 that these people, these males, can actually be women are stark, raving, bonging. They really do. And they'll tell you that. Oh, don't be stupid. You know, no, I can't be a woman. Why would I do that? You know? And the, they are then, they have to think about, well, what happens if it doesn't work out right now? GRS is quite a... a, a, a a developed surgery, and it's usually successful, but it's not always successful. What happens if they lose the ability to orgasm? They are not interested in that. There's no cultural pressure on them here, as there would be in the West, to move towards that kind of surgery, because nobody's going to think they're more complete as a woman if they have it. They're not going to think they're more complete, and nobody else is going to think they're more complete, because everybody knows they can't be real women. You know, that, that divide is not, it's a line that cannot be crossed here. And I think that one of the problems that the West has got now is that some people have pretended that you can cross that line. And it's bollocks. Excuse my French. It's nonsense. The gender binary is fundamental. But it's the binary that I described earlier, men and not men. Right? And ladyboys are very, very enthusiastic about being in the not men group. That suits them down to the ground. Because as a not-man, they are a legitimate target for men. There is no, for example, there is no ladyboy. Katoi, Waria, you know, it just depends where you are. Same in, in uh, Latin America, who considers her sexual partner to be gay. They will not date gays. If the guy shows any sign of a desire to be penetrated, that's it. He's history. Not only is history, she, he history, she'll tell everyone else so he can't find another girlfriend. He's kind of backtracked a little bit because he moved his politics. It happens. There's a researcher called uh, Professor Don Kulik, and he's a professor at the University of Uppsala in Sweden. Um, and he became quite a, a voice in the, you know, the, the queer theory mob in the, uh, around about 2010. But prior to that, he did a seminal survey, a study on, in Brazil, they're called travestis. It's the same thing. 
slightly different in detail, but basically the same. And he lived in a, a house full of travestis for a year, and they wrote a book about it called Travesti, funnily enough. And he describes the kind of things that travestis would do to their boyfriends. I mean, they would actually beg the boyfriend. They would say, no, nah, let me try it. I want it. It's not fair. You always do me. Why can't I do you? Let me try. Come on. Let me do. If the guy was stupid enough to let them do it, that was it. He was finished. Is there like a, an entrapment situation going on here? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. They're constantly testing. And, and another thing that... Uh, who wants to live really, with that? <laughs> <laughs> I've, got to, I've got to watch here what you're doing here. Which means he would be gay. And you cannot be a gay. Not allowed to be gay. That's completely... I mean, I know that's offensive to a lot of people in the West, but that is exactly how it is in these cultures. It's like, no, not having any gay guy for a partner. No, 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 I want a real man. And yeah, I know that, that, that this is... These are things that the West no longer really accepts or believes in, but it's still the way it is everywhere else. It's Are you finding the that Western is. ideas about gender, like queer theory, is that starting to? Are you starting to see some of that there? No, those, no, <laughs> no, no. I'm starting to see some of that in the middle class group because it's so uh, influenced by American ideas. But within the traditional group, no, absolutely not. They have no traction whatsoever. And actually, this makes uh, you know, there's a, a, there's a Filipino academic called Neil Garcia. Neil's getting on, he's my age. Um, and he's a gay guy. And for, oh, 25 years now, he's been ranting on about the, the situation in the Philippines, how awful it is, because they won't accept the Philam model, the, Ameri the, the, the Western model, which he has, right? And they just won't do it. And they still won't do it. And he's still fuming. It's, it's made no difference at all. It's like, I'm not having it. You know, the, there was a... There was a an organization called STRAP founded a few years ago. I guess getting on for 15 years ago now. And that was the Society of Trans Women of the Philippines. That was it. And that was all about, you're trying to get the, the Western model of trans women, but I brought in here. And it was all very, like, made a lot of noise and all the rest of it. And it didn't make any impression at all. You know, it now is reduced to a single Facebook page, which hasn't, the last time I looked, hadn't been updated in over a year. It's just faded away because the traditional society has no space for it. You have, you know, you have, you have so many rewarding career opportunities and life paths available because of Kabakla that why would anybody follow the Western? You know, they know they're not going to be doctors and lawyers. They just know it. They, they're not going to do that. They have to find another way, and the performance of beauty, which is really what this is about in this case, that affords them that. You know, they can be, they can have their dreams. There's a girl worth, uh, whom I know, uh, I wouldn't call her a friend, but she's an acquaintance, called Rui, Rui Mariano. Rui was uh, an international beauty pageant queen, and she's HSTS. She's one of the most beautiful women I have ever seen in my life. And I have seen a few beautiful women. And she's utterly stunning. She couldn't have done it any other way. You know, she's still, she really must be 30 or 31 now. And she, she runs a cosmetics company. She sells hormones. She does all that sort of thing. And she's doing very nicely indeed. She's a businesswoman. And she, you can certainly be a businesswoman and be a battler. But middle-class aspirant, middle-class 
career avenues are not only closed off to, to, to these people, but they don't really want them. It's like, no, we can't do that anyway. You know, we, we are of the wrong class. We're not educated enough. We can't do that. We don't have rich families who will send us to, to posh schools. If they go to university, it'll be something like uh, University of the Philippines, which is a state school. You know, um, It won't be to one of the high-end ones that are associated with Ivy League schools in America. So, And that's how you get to be a successful lawyer in this country, if you go to school like that. So it's not... They, they know from a very early age that, you know, dad works on building sites or he has a garage or he's a trike driver, something like that. And they just want better than that. They just want better than that. And they know that beauty can give it. They know that. They're not stupid. They, they know that the performance... Go on. Yeah, sorry. They, 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 outgrow, they outgrow the beauty at some point, right? So, like, what, what does the aging process look like here? So if you don't have a, well, you know... A, Go it's a really fascinating question. It's a great one, actually. Aaron. That's a beautiful. They outgrow. They don't. <laughs> for, for a start off, for a start off, HSTS sexual inverts mature, masculinize very much more slowly than than most males, right? And with, it is widely believed. Ray Blanchard's been looking at this. That this might be something to do with damage which is done to the uh, androgen receptors in the body. At some point in uh, during pregnancy, like before birth, and that these 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 effects mean that the androgen and I have to confirm with this, the androgen receptors are just not efficient in the way that it would be in most men in the HSTS. So they tend to stay very feminine looking. Um, but then there's the pills. The pills actually what causes aging really is testosterone. You know. Women until the uh, and and if you're taking uh, estrogen and a testosterone blocker, then your looks will stay. They will really stay. I mean, I know girls in their forties now, and they still look absolutely great. Older than that, they look fantastic as long as they've kept they've kept trim. You know, they've kept in shape a little bit, and they've maintained crucially maintained their their hormone regime. Then, you know, these are very good looking women. In terms of aging, right now, some AGPs, for example, will. Because they're less, they're they're a lot more masculine than HSTS anyway. If they've been a bit sloppy with their hormone regime, or maybe they're just not really quite so convinced that they can do it anymore, then around about age thirty-five, they might just come off hormones and revert. Pack it in, okay. Uh, you know, they pack it in, yeah. But they've had twenty years by that stage, during which time they might well have been. Pageant queens, they might have had a, a hell of a life, you know. Uh, and then suddenly they go, no, okay, I really am a man, actually, and I would like to have kids. And that point at mid-30s is really important for men because that tends to be when they go, if they're going to have kids, it's like, hmm, I really need to start thinking about this. So that's It's almost like the opposite is. trajectory as, as in the West with the AGP. Well, that's what you're talking yeah, yeah, absolutely. But they were talking about within the traditional group, right? And they will have presented at 16 and started mm-hmm. taking home hormones around about then. So they've really come to the end of their trajectory at that point. And it's by no means all of them. There are still plenty of AGPs going forward from that age. Group. They've become so invested in the life that they have that they can't change it. They wouldn't want to. Mm-hmm. It's fine. they got a nice house, you know. they got... Uh, 
they got the rewards that they wanted, and so they're quite content. So why would it change? It's a dollar a week, you know, for the, 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 the pills. Some girls will have a thing called a transatlantic split here. I don't because you're Canada. I don't know which one it is. Uh, called orchiectomy or orchidectomy, in which they'll basically have this test, the testicles removed. This castration, uh, and they'll have that done fairly young. It's not that common, but I do know girls who've had it done, and more girls than who have had, you know, um, vaginoplasty. Um, and that permanently stops the masculinization. That's it. It will never occur. They do need to take, keep taking the estrogen, otherwise they will, they will just have no libido at all. Uh, plus there are, you know, possible potential consequences of osteoporosis if they don't take something. You know, you need some sex hormones. Yeah. But they'll just have them lopped off, going, going, and that's it. I used to know a girl who was yeah. AGP. He kept hers in the, in the, in the freezer. And she would show people. <laughs> I'm not joking. That's absolutely true. <laughs> it just goes to show how strong that AGP drive is, knowing that they really change social class, really, by no longer being seen as men in their culture. For an AGP who who's, is a heterosexual male with, you know, with AGP, <laughs> that they have to give up their whole sex class in order to, but, but not only their sex class, but their whole social status in order to be seen as, as women that's in why the, society. That, that, you know, for a long time, uh, researchers in the West thought that, that AGP was very rare in the Philippines and in Southeast Asia generally. That's absolute nonsense. There's absolutely loads of them. But within the, the, the middle class, they're very rare. Exactly for that reason. You know, you've got somebody who's got a career, uh, banking, lawyer, doctor, academia, and he knows perfectly well, especially in a, this is not, this is not the USA, especially in a culture like this. If he was short to, to work one day in a dress, everybody would go, what do you think you're doing? You think you're going to, we're going to let you go and teach students looking like that? It ain't going to happen, so they don't do it. And that is why, uh, you know, there was a, a real confusion going on because people were looking for AGPs in the wrong place. You look for them within uh, traditional middle uh, working class culture. In middle class, they're as rare as they once were in the West. You know, they just it just doesn't happen because they hide. They keep it all under wraps, under control, and they might well be, um, you know, cross-dressing to um, pleasure themselves in private or to indulge their, their, their it's a fetish. It is a fetish. Mm -hmm. Indulge the fetish in private, but they ain't going to tell anybody. There's no way they're letting that out because that would compromise their entire lives, their career, everything. And unlike the West where people are encouraged, oh, just, just do it. doesn't matter if you lose your wife, lose your home, lose your job, lose everything. And they do in the West. And it's tragic. I think that's awful. It's awful that they're encouraged to do it. Here, they're not that stupid. They know what the result would be. They ain't going to do that. They will not do it. They will just go, no. They, it sounds like very they wouldn't really be validated as women there in the same way that they are here either. I mean, if, if, it, if the two categories there are men and not men, you know, they can opt out of, not, they can opt out of man, manliness, but they, they'll never be validated as women there. No, never. Can't happen. It doesn't happen. And I'm actually frankly surprised that it happens at all in the West. I mean, you know, a, a little minute, a few minutes reflection should tell you this is not a possible scenario. 
You simply cannot change. You're always going to be X, Y. Sex can't be changed. Sex is a determined at the, the point of, of conception. That's it. That doesn't stop you being a, a highly feminized male who adores men and who, you know, is all that stuff and is beautiful. And some of them are extremely beautiful. But it really does constrain you. You know, you can't, there are, there are avenues that are just not open. You, know, you can never be, a, in this culture, you can never be a Lola, but you can't be a grandmother. So you can never be one of the, you can never rise up the hierarchy of women. It cannot happen. Uh, the only way that a, a trans woman, if you like, a backlash, can lady boy can gain status is through money, right? You know, and that is why you'll find they do things like they'll, when they start out, if they're successful, you know, they'll be buying their parents. Well, sometimes they'll buy the house, buy a house for the parents. Sometimes they'll just uh, finish the half completed wreck that their parents have been living in for the last 15 years because they ran out of money. Uh, that's very common. Um, they might buy, a tricycle, you know, it's a motorcycle and sidecar outfit for their dad, you know, they, they might do this sort of thing, because that shows to the the, uh, the society around them how well they're doing, and it gives them status. And that's one reason why, you know, in the West, Blanchard, it's not Blanchard, it's not the only student of this in the West, obviously, but um, he found that live-action prostitution was quite rare amongst AGPs, but that was really to do with his sample that he was looking at. Um, Nutbrock didn't find that quite so strongly. Here, for an AGP, that's what gives it the, the prostitution the interest. It's not just that she can afford the, the surgeries and the things that she wants to make her for her body goals, they call them their body goals, you know, to, to be achieved. It's also her social goals. You can remember uh, one of my exes, Christy, uh, and she was very instructional for me because she was AGP, and I didn't realise that because I thought they were all the same at that time, you know. <laughs> and uh, I was quite involved with Chrissy for a while. Uh, and and she, she said, you know, that she had not been accepted by her father. And her father was what they call a, a bystander here. You know, he was a, a construction worker, but he was in his 50s. And you can't actually I mean, there's no market for 50-year-old construction workers in the Philippines. It just isn't. I mean, all the construction workers, they, the ones they want are all 20 they're young and fit and energetic, you know, and they know perfectly well that the 50-year-old guys are all standing on, leaning on their shovels, smoking cigarettes. They're not actually working. So, well, that's that's what they think. So she said, she said, my father just wouldn't accept me. Terrible, wouldn't. And she, she was a late bloomer. You know, she didn't come out when she was a kid. But, but when I went to Japan, she went to Japan with a dance troupe, and of course the pay was terrible, but... You can make really substantial amounts of money from, you know, servicing Japanese gentlemen. I said, when I went there and I got money, then he accepted me. Of course, because she's sending the money back to him and he's buying bottles of booze and cigarettes. And, you know, he's able to say, oh, look, you know, look, I've got all this stuff. and that. you know, yeah. That's Christopher. He always called her Christopher, much to everybody's horror. That's Christopher does that, you know, sends me this money. So she got validation. So he accepted her. I mean, I was shocked by it. I thought it was really horrifying. I'm a parent. I couldn't. Good grief. That seems so, it seems so shallow. But I now know that that is normal here. That is absolutely normal. Parents, fathers just will not accept a backless son. 
right? Just they will not do it. But if that battle of sun becomes rich or is successful in some way or has something else that they can give them, yeah, that's okay. That's all right. You might still hate the fact that she's a backlog, but it don't matter. You know, I've got a new house. I've got a new tricycle. You know what I mean? And it, it, it does. It's one of these things that you feel it's creepy. You know what I mean? As a parent, I find that very creepy. But that is never they, they've got, they have full knowledge that the money is coming from prostitution? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, anyone... <laughs> Anyone who goes to any bakla who goes to work, any, anyone who goes to work at a dance troupe in Japan is assumed to be a prostitute. Automatically. Automatically assumed to be a prostitute. No way around that one. Uh, a curious thing is that within the top level uh, of pageant performance and um, beauty contest status, and that area in, in here, you know, and of being a cabaret entertainer, stuff like that, at the very top level. It's, they don't prostitute. It's a bit like the geisha situation, you know? You look, but you don't touch, you know? But when they go out of sight, away to Japan, yeah, that's a completely different story. What, what, what they're expected to do here is a totally different thing from what they do over there, uh, out of sight, out of mind. And yeah, it's absolutely expected that if it's understood that if you go to Japan to work with a dance group or a, cabaret company or anything like that yeah that's what you're going to be doing you're going to be servicing men and they give the japanese i have heard stories that are like <laughs> you know I, there is one case where a, a, a japanese paid a girl just like that in a bar right one night one night in a bar paid for a girl's uh boob job yeah here's the money Go and take go and get yourself some boobs. Just like that. You know, she didn't have to save it. He just said, here, have it. I like it. Go on, you'll be better with boobs. There you wow. go. So that's what, you know, that's uh, several thousand dollars. Just like that. Within Japanese culture, spending gives, shows status. Mm -hmm. Right? The more you spend, the higher status you are. So if you're in a, a bar full of uh, ladyboys and there's competition between the males because there's always competition between males and uh, you want to rise above it, there you go. Pull out $3,000 from your pocket and just, there you are. You, you just have that. I don't care. It's only 3K. Who cares? You know? I think, beat that, basically. <laughs> basically, that's what it is. And in Japan, that's really, because the Japanese men are really competitive. That's, that's what the whole thing is about. They, 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 they spend huge amounts of money on these girls and they're not afraid to spend for beauty. If the girl's beautiful, then she can make a truly amazing amount of money. Um, given that you're talking about somebody who has no education, you know, quite possibly didn't even finish school. Yeah, to be handed that kind of money. Fascinating to hear about all of this from a different culture's perspective. You can't take what's happening here and translate it to the West. No. It just can't be done. But what the thing I find kind of annoying is the way that, not you, but that many people in the West think they can take Western ideas and just translate it to here. Well, you can't do that either. That does, doesn't work. Western notions about virginity and 
um, sexuality and, and all the things that and what it is to be a man and a woman, you know, all of these things, they, they have no meaning here. They don't. Mm-hmm. There's a completely different set of values that are in in operation. You know, and that's why, you know, you've got this crazy situation in the West where you've got people saying there's like 100, 167 genders. I don't know what the latest count is. No, those are actually all not, not men. They're, they're all part of the same gender. It's just a variation. One group, one group is extremely homogeneous. The other group is very varied and multifaceted. Simple as that. But it, there, there are political reasons why such a pragmatic view is not popular in the West, I'm afraid. Uh, and political reasons are not always the best reasons. You know, They really aren't. And that's leaving aside all the stuff about, you know, but what, who's going with whom up the woods. And as I say, this is all happening. This isn't white guys. White guys don't come here to do this. This is something that's happening within the local population. Uh, I mean, there's definitely records, if you read into the history of this, there are definitely records of white men. They used to come here and do that. But I think since, uh, since the 90s, that's become extremely rare. It's, uh, I've never encountered it. Never. You know, just not once. But then this will interest you. As they get older, the backlash become expected to pay the men for sex. Really? Oh, yeah. Hmm. Absolutely. They, 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 if, a backla, if a guy asks the backlash out for dinner with the assumption that there'll be sex, then the backlash will be expected to pay for dinner and also give him something for the sex. Hmm. Absolutely true. Yeah, that happens a lot. That is, that is the way because local men will not pay uh, a bachelor for sex. They won't do it. The bachelor has to pay that. And that's why there's really no market because you know, the, the Western tourist market just isn't big enough here. It's not like Thailand. It's not like Thailand. Thailand is a very much more um, developed tourist market. Um, I think in, I'm fa- I found the whole experience really fascinating. And the amount that you learn about, you know, you learn a hell of a lot about your own culture when you mm-hmm. look at somebody else's. And yeah. you, you start to look at, back at my own culture and go, you know, how, does, how the hell does that fit this, you know? Uh, and it's been very interesting. It's been really uh, in, educational, the whole thing. Thanks, oh, so much, right. Rod, for yeah. Yeah, sure. time yeah, that's fine. This. It's been fascinating. Sorry? hear about yeah, this thank you. perspective? Well, if you're interested, then there's an awful lot of information on my site uh, and also in my videos. I, I don't just talk about um, ladyboys and transgender and sexuality. I talk about a lot of things um, because I'm a journalist and anything that I find that interests me, I'll write about. So we do. Go and have a look. We'll do. Of course, I, I have checked out I your site. I would yeah. like it when people buy my books. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. You're Big welcome, Aaron. You. Take care of yourself. Good to meet you, too. Take care. Yeah. Yeah. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Transparency Podcast. If you enjoy our content, please help out our algorithm by hitting like or subscribe. If you'd like to make a donation, follow the link to our PayPal account. On behalf of the Gender Dysphoria Alliance, thanks for your support. <laughs>